Okay, so the audio is all working. Um, how are you doing? I'm all right. Yeah? <laughs> doing okay. Yeah, I'm still upright, so. I know, that's your classic so it, answer. It's my right? classic response. I'm still upright, so it's a win. Um, so I, I already started recording, and I was actually thinking this morning that I was going to start with saying, like, how are you doing? And just, like, ask you how you feel about that question, even. Oh, that question I find extremely difficult. Um, it's extremely difficult for me to be truthful about it, to be honest. Um, it's easier for me to laugh it off and say, you know, I'm upright or I'm six feet above ground, so it's all good. It can always be worse. You know, uh, the typical things people say when they're doing, quote unquote, fine. Yeah. Um, so, and I think too, though, that I find the question difficult. It depends on who's asking and how much they know about me and what I'm willing to disclose. Um, if it's just a stranger, obviously it's not a problem, but if it's, it's somebody like yourself that I'm much closer to and I'm more open with you and you know my history, so it's easier for me to share with you how I'm actually doing because I know um, if I tell you I'm doing really poorly, I'm having horrible mental health, like bad side effects with meds or whatever the case is, um, that you'll understand and not judge me. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that that's why I find the question difficult. And also, it's also difficult for me because sometimes I really don't know how I am doing. I find it hard to determine how I am actually doing compared to past or present self, I guess. And, and uh, health, how I felt in a health status like previously compared to now is also, I find really difficult to, um, to describe. Yeah, that's, so that's really interesting. Um, I, cause there's two things there that you said that I wasn't really expecting. I, I expected you to say that the question is difficult sometimes. Um, and that, you know, when I, someone like me asks it, you know, I'm sincerely asking, like, it's not just like, Hey, how are you doing? You know, and I'm, I'm asking because I'm genuinely concerned and, you know, want to know how you're doing. But um, so it's so for me, it was interesting that you said you know, you feel like you don't, you know you, that I won't judge you, but other people you feel like might judge you. And it actually never occurred to me that judgment would be part of not wanting to share those things. You know, when I think about myself, when I don't want to share something about how I'm feeling, it's it's kind of like, well, I, I guess I just, I don't want, you know, part of me doesn't want to make the other person uncomfortable or whatever, but I never, I don't know that I really thought about judgment. And so when you said that, I was like, that's, yeah, that was just interesting. But um, yeah, like, I'm sorry that you feel like people are judging you too, you know? Well, I, I think for me, the judgment part, so... I guess um, it's important for people to know that are listening. I suppose I have treatment-resistant major depressive disorder. I have generalized anxiety disorder and social anxiety disorder, and I've had them for a very long time, 20-plus uh, years easily. So I think that the judgment portion of what we just spoke about is more anxiety-related uh, than anything else, and I feel that it's also um, very much the stigma affiliated with uh, mental illness um, in society and and the medical Western medical community and things like that. So I think it's this this fear of um, it's anxiety fear 
um, people say they have FOMO, fear of missing out. And <laughs> lately, the last few months, I've been saying I have I have foe, which is F-O-E, which is fear of everything. Right. I mean, literally fear of everything, like fear of answering the phone, fear of answering an email. It's all anxiety based. I'm well aware of that. It's just it's very difficult to um, live your life um, somewhat normally when you feel those things probably every 15 minutes throughout the day. Um, so, yeah, I think the, the judgment piece is definitely an anxiety thing as well, because I know logically and that um, – Judgment should be irrelevant to me because it's external. Um, however, the anxiety, that's not what the anxiety tells me. Right. That yeah. tells, anxiety tells me, oh, they're going to judge you. They're going to think that you're weak. You're sick. You, you know, are uh, incompetent, incapable, um, those types of things. And, and obviously that internal dialogue certainly doesn't help anything either. So. So, yeah, uh, interesting question. You wouldn't think how are you could actually spur a conversation. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I did actually because I, I, I could imagine, but I just didn't imagine what your response would be. So, yeah. Um, it's interesting too because it, like, it sounds like, you know, having, like, I, you know, I mean, we studied anxiety and depression in the lab, right? Like, that's how we met. And so, like, I've been, and you have too, we've all been thinking about anxiety and depression and the relationship between them for so long. And like, I, I, it's hard for me to understand if they're like two separate things or if they're the same thing, you know, or if one precipitates the other. I mean, you know, there's a lot, there's some evidence we talked in the Kindling Lab. I don't know if you remember this, but we were sort of looking at it as a model where like repeated bouts of stress and anxiety could then lead to like a depression where you just like literally crash. And, yeah. and maybe that is part of it, but it's also like at the, in the same moment, like you might be feeling the, like the lowness of the depression and then also have this superimposed like anxiety, fear of like these judgments, you know, and. Absolutely. It's, it's definitely both. It's two pronged. And, and to be honest with you, my current, um, feeling about depression and anxiety is that it's one in the same. I think they kind of go hand in hand. I think the severity of each can vary per person because I think that, um, you know, there's one, no blank, one blanket solution for any mental illness. Everybody experiences the symptoms differently. So I think that it's unique to each individual, but there's also common threads of symptoms um, that can arise as well. Um, but I think that... Uh, Sorry, I just lost my train of thought. That's okay. <laughs> no, it's not terrible. Um, um, sorry, what were we talking about? Well, you know, we were just Oh, talking. in the lab, yeah, yeah, the depression and anxiety being one and the same or, or two different things. And, yeah, I think that's really difficult to parse out. I think that for me what the anxiety and depression is is kind of the – that continuum of a curve of up and down. So kind of your highs are – the anxiety that you experience and the symptoms of anxiety that you experience. And then the converse of that is the downward, which is the depressive side of it that you can experience um, depending on, depending on, I guess, your thoughts and, and uh, external stressors that are occurring in your life. So I do kind of think that they're one and the same, but again, like I said, I think the severity of each completely depends on, on the person with the illness. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I wonder I don't know. I've always kind of thought that if you have 
um, like I, I really gravitate towards the idea that anxiety sort of precipitated depression. And so I, and when I talk to people who have depression, whether it's through coaching or, or in other capacities, like I feel like you can always trace it back to like a, a anxiety and maybe it's not the underlying, but it just, it seems like they're always together. Like I, you know, I can't imagine a person who's had depression who I've talked to who doesn't have some example of anxiety, whether it started it or not, I don't really know, but it's just sort of, it's always sort of there. And which I find interesting because they just feel like so different of disorders, but I don't, even when I think about myself, like it's actually making me think about my experiences postpartum, which I will say I, I had postpartum depression. Um, and that's been really hard for me to say that. And it's by no means the severity that you're experiencing this. I, I know it's it's a very different manifestation of it. Um, but it was it was a lot. But I also realized that um, it, there was a lot of anxiety there. And, like, to me, functioning in the state of anxiety, like, that's pretty – like, I'm okay with that. Like, I, that feels very natural to me. Functioning in a state of depression is really – unfamiliar to me and so it was really hard when I was in that postpartum depression but I was thinking recently about how anxious I was when I was postpartum in those first like three months like actually it lasted a year like even like I wouldn't go anywhere I like I wouldn't go like two streets over with Asher because I was so afraid he would just start crying and I couldn't get back home in time and and it was just so exaggerated from what my normal level of anxiety was but I, I I didn't think about that because I was so focused on this depression that felt so unfamiliar to me but really both of these were so heightened to levels I'd never experienced before but you know it depends on what you're familiar with and like what pops out too you know that that's just it and and it is like you said like you're feeling with a I mean I don't have children so I don't have an experience with postpartum depression um, but my experience with depression tells me that any type of depression is is extremely difficult and challenging to to manage, let alone live with if it's chronic. Um, yeah. But regardless of that, like that's exactly like you just said, you were scared to take Asher like a couple streets over in case he cried because it's this whole fear of everything. It's the fear of the unknown. And even if you logically know it's going to be OK and it's not a big deal, it's not what you feel. Yeah. And so what you're feeling is completely different than what your logic is telling you. And so it feels very confusing and simultaneously you have all these emotions coming up as well. So you, you just, for me, the long-term effects of having depression and anxiety, I find that I really second guess my thoughts. I really second guess. Uh, it's like, I don't trust what I think and I almost don't trust what I feel because I'm not sure if it's, me the depression or the anxiety because there comes a point where it's really difficult to parse out what is what and what's actually still you um and so i completely relate to you going down the street like uh literally last year um there was a point where my anxiety was and depression was so bad i actually couldn't leave the house i couldn't go to the grocery store it was too overwhelming i couldn't go to a friend's house. I couldn't, I just, I couldn't leave the house. I just could not. It was just way too overwhelming. Um, so I completely understand what that feels like, but it feels so it's frustrating at the same time because you know, you're fully capable, you know, it's not, you know, it's an unrealistic thought and feeling, but it's very difficult to convince yourself of that in that moment. I know. 
that's a really good point also in terms of people being able to understand the disorder because you said you could not go you could not leave the house like yeah. what does that mean I know I know what that means but can you tell me in your own words like what does that mean like walk someone through that experience who may not be able to understand that because there are people out there who are saying like what do you mean you couldn't go to the grocery store like just get up yeah. and go right people yeah. say that so what oh does absolutely that mean? absolutely so essentially what it means for me is that I feel so bad that I don't want to leave the house and I don't want to leave the house because a I don't want to see anybody B, I don't want to feel overwhelmed, and I can feel overwhelmed um, by driving to the store and seeing roadkill. That'll upset me enough, depending on how I am, which right. I realize is not realistic, but it's that's what happens. Uh, being at the grocery store, so if I can't go to the grocery store, can't leave the house, usually it's because I get so anxious being around people or out in public that I actually experience symptoms such as dizziness, confusion, heightened anxiety, I can have a panic attack or anxiety attack, which feels like basically having a heart attack. Um, and having that experience in public is ultra terrifying um, because, well, for me, I can hide it really well. I can be having a full bone panic attack and nobody will even know. But, um, you know, the, the feeling and the experience is still all there. So therefore, if I forced myself to go to the grocery store, I can't concentrate, I can't focus. You know, I'm, it's just overwhelming. Uh, and a perfect example is I forced myself to go one time when I feel now looking back in hindsight, I should not have gone. Um, but I literally was in the grocery store for maybe 15 minutes. And I think I bumped into three different people with my cart, like, and they weren't in the way, like it wasn't busy. There's tons of room in the aisle, but that's how distracted and unmindful and unaware um, the anxiety kind of makes you feel because you're just so caught up, uh, in these symptoms that you're having, they just kind of overtake you. So it's very difficult to ground yourself in reality when, when that stuff is happening. Um, and so again, the best way I can explain it is a fear of everything. So it was a fear of leaving the house. It was a fear of seeing other people. I didn't want to see anybody I knew because I was off work and I, kind of disabled and I don't want to talk to people because they'll be like you know most people are like oh how's it going how's work what are you doing these days you know how's whatever right and for me it's well I'm not working and um my marriage ended and I'm trying to get a divorce and um you know I was suicidal last year so my mom had to move in with me to help take care of me because I can't look after myself um so it's it's um it's just a lot it's just yeah. a lot. And I don't think that it's something a lot of people can understand or grasp. So I kind of err on the side of caution where, you know, the majority of my life I've hidden that I have these illnesses and I don't talk about them because a lot of people don't understand. Uh, I still have people say to me, even as recent as this year, I've heard people say that they don't believe in mental illness. Really? They actually, yeah, they don't believe in it. They don't particularly don't believe in it for themselves. Right. So it's interesting to hear those perspectives because for me, having had multiple mental illnesses the majority of my life, I feel like I completely understand it, but I really don't know how to explain to somebody who doesn't believe in it how, how it is. 
Um, so the, again, that's that whole stigma that goes along with it. And But I think it's an education piece and an awareness piece. But I also think too that unless you've had a bout of depression or a bout of anxiety, situational or clinical or otherwise, um, it's very, very difficult to understand. I know. I think you're right. It is. And I like obviously being a psychologist, I wish people could just understand this from a psychological experience, but I know they can. And when you bring like some kind of like, you know, it's easy to compare it to like other, other kinds of physical illnesses. Um, and I do think mental illness is physical as you know, but there's like the obvious physical, like cancer, um, having a cold, like things that are just like, we know the root cause or whatever, at least the root of the symptoms. Um, and that's very obvious for people to understand. Whereas like the mental health stuff is really challenging for people. But when you said, you said anxiety is like feeling a heart attack. And we know from a neuroscience perspective that that is actually true. Like your, your body is literally going into this mode where it, like you could explode. Like you, you know, you could get to a, such a high level that you could like, you know, people feel like they could die. Right. And so it is like a huge physical thing. And if people could like understand that, that it's like, it'd be as scary as if you were having a heart attack. Like that's exactly what it feels like. Yeah. And physiologically it is like, there's so all this stuff, like your, your, your body is starting to shut down. Your body thinks that it's dying. And so all of these prep things are going on and you're, cause whatever, it doesn't matter where the threat comes from. And if people could just like put themselves in that situation and be like, oh wow, have I ever felt like I was dying? That's what it would feel like to have a panic attack and to be this like severely in it, you know? Yeah. And it's terrifying, obviously, because when you think about the physiological effects of your body thinking, okay, we're dying. So let's start the process of whatever we need to do to try to get through it. Um, you know, it's, I I can understand that it'd be hard for people to, to understand that, but I think that's a good way to, to try to help people understand what it's like and that it, it truly does feel like a heart attack. You do feel like you're dying and you actually think that you're dying. Like you actually, the thoughts that go through my head when I have a panic attack are, I mean, I know now from experience and having so many that, that it's completely irrational, but the, the thoughts that you have during it are, I'm having a heart attack. Oh my God, there's something wrong with my heart. I'm having a hard time breathing. Why can't I catch my breath? There's pain in my chest. Um, my, my knees feel weak. I feel like I'm going to throw up yet pass out at the same time. I feel dizzy. I feel confused. Um, I'm sweating. I'm freezing. I'm, it's just a whole range of things. And all this is happening within a a few minutes and so if somebody could put themselves in that imagine themselves in that place so you're three to five minutes and you just feel like you just had a heart attack your body's like giving out on you and doing crazy stuff you've never felt before it frankly it's terrifying yeah it's funny too that you said like it's not like you feel like it's irrational but like when I think about it from a neuroscience perspective it's not irrational at all like our brain is so wired to to if it experiences a threat, we shut down rat. Like there's no, we're not trying to like be logical about this. It's like, I need to, I need to get myself safe. Like, so, you know, you talked about like your, your concentration and your awareness of outside, 
narrowing. Well, of course it does because it's like, I need to save this body. I'm not concerned with, you know, the people in front of me or anything else. Like our, our brain just goes into that survival mode and that's what happens. You're in like intense survival mode, right? Yeah. And it's interesting that you say survival mode because it's been something I've been kind of pondering a lot on and off for a number of years. But, and one of the things I think that that kind of resonates with me is that I feel like I'm trying to survive through life. I'm not thriving through life. And so for me, when you feel that every day when you get up is um, you have to attempt to survive the day um, based on how the world is structured externally um, and how society is structured, um, you'd have to kind of adhere to those things to fit in, I guess. Um, It's very difficult to have motivation and hope to continue when you feel like you're just barely getting by each day. You know, you're just, you, so for just to give you an example, um, or I could give an example of a typical day with major depressive disorder and anxiety disorders. Um, so a typical day is, is you can wake up in the morning and you may or may not have slept. Um, I sleep because I have sleeping pills. Otherwise, I wouldn't sleep. I'd be awake every 45 minutes. Um, and so you wake up, you feel groggy. You don't want to get out of bed. You're already exhausted and you haven't even put your feet on the floor. You have no energy whatsoever, um, or at least I don't. Um, and then so you get up and you know try to have your coffee and, and get going for the day. And even that's a slog. Like it's slow going and it feels like it takes a while to come around and actually be coherent and, and wake up. But for me, in addition to that, the, the physical symptoms that are psychosomatic symptoms, I guess, maybe even that go along with depression, anxiety. For me, one of the biggest ones is that when I have a lot of anxiety or get extremely upset or stressed out, uh, my stomach gets nauseous, very, very nauseous. Um, I never actually vomit ever but it's that feeling in your throat you feel like you're going to vomit so I have that the majority of the time throughout the day so it makes it very challenging because I don't get hungry so it's hard for me to eat so I have to force myself to eat um, which is a bit of a pain because it'd be nice to have an appetite and enjoy eating and not feel like you have to force yourself because if you don't do it, you're just going to die. Yeah, it's just another survival strategy. Like, I just have to eat this. Exactly. Yep. And I and same with taking meds. Well, I have to take my meds. You know, I've got to keep taking them. If I don't take them, I'll have withdrawal and then there'll be other issues that I have to deal with. So I need to keep taking those and, and um, then... You know, then you can just get distracted with your own mind. You can ruminate or you can try to do like I can try to do a few chores around the house and things like that. But to be honest, um, it's been a challenge the past year to maintain any normal functioning, I guess, or what people would call, quote unquote, normal functioning, which is self-care, being able to look after yourself, um, being able to look after your responsibilities and and things like that. So, yeah. so, yeah, a typical day can be, uh, for me, it, it feels, um, a lot of things feel very overwhelming, which, you know, those there's particular things that shouldn't feel overwhelming, like I have to pay a bill. Right. You know, I don't have to leave, a, leave the house to pay a bill. I can do it online through my bank account. And for whatever reason, again, it's just anxiety affiliated with it. I just, there's something preventing me from 
following through on actionable tasks. Um, so it makes the day like very challenging. So imagine if you had to go to work and do that all day, like that's my norm when I was working is you get up and you fake it until you get home. And, um, that's what I would do at, at work. And yeah, I come home and I feed the dogs and force myself to eat supper. And by eight o'clock I'm passed out on the couch cause I'm so exhausted from faking it all day. Yeah. So exhausted. Yeah. Cause you just, you have to wear the fake smile and you know, you can't, I mean, it's not appropriate to have conversations like that in the workplace. I don't think that it's, you know, it's not commonplace. So it's, there, there's just so many things that, that you can't talk about or that seem taboo to talk about at work. And uh, so it, so it's very, it's, it's, it's exhausting the amount of energy that's required to pretend that you're okay all day long. Yeah. And I mean, there's probably times when it's easier and then when it's, like when you're falling deeper into a depression, then it's just unmanageable. Like you just. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, when it comes on, becomes unmanageable, that's like, I can't leave the house type stuff. That's when it gets really bad. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, most people can't even, uh, I mean, a lot of people are walking around faking it. That's for sure. But they can't imagine the stress and the, the wear that that puts on our body. Yes. Yeah. To the point where like, I literally don't feel that I have the physical energy to exercise. I don't have the physical energy to, I just feel like I don't have any motivation or any, um, interest, I guess. And that's one of the symptoms of depression is that you have a lack of interest in things. Um, unfortunately my primary lack of interest is in myself. Yeah. Which is really frustrating <laughs> because you need the opposite of that to try to look after yourself. So um, there are just so many variables and factors that come into play with, with mental illness and it impacts every aspect of your life. I, I know some people may not understand that, but it, it affects your career, your relationships, your finances, um, yeah. your family, everything, everything. So it has a very large, wide net of impact I think when when it hits your life which I also think is the other reason that some people um, feel or find that it's that it's so devastating and debilitating and I completely get that I completely understand that yeah. that it can be that bad yeah well it is that bad for you for yep. sure and for and for lots of people like um, one thing I, I just wanted to say because I hate the term psychosomatic. I feel <laughs> like I know you say it because, and you said it re- referring to your nausea. Um, yeah. But I hate it because it implies that it's all in our mind. Yeah. I think what it actually means is that like really it's the power of some of our thoughts. Like so it's all a big cycle as you know and some of our thoughts can can be so devastating that they can cause physical symptoms. So, like, in that sense, I, I don't mind the word, but I think when people hear it, they often think it's all in your mind, and it's not. Like, our mind and our brain are not separate, and our brain is not separate from our body, and so all of these things are affecting each other, and, like, I don't know. I almost feel like we need to stop calling it mental illness, like, or something, because people just aren't seeing it as as the full spectrum of what it is, you know? But I think that's the whole thing. People can't see it. Yeah. 
Right. And that's what makes it so difficult. Invisible illnesses, even, you know, fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue, um, uh, any of those that, you know, it's not that people can necessarily see diabetes either, but it's just that with mental illness, I think I agree with you with psychosomatic. I just, I don't really care for the term. It's just, that's a term I use because that's how I discovered I expressed my depression and anxiety through physical symptoms and they are real physical symptoms. They really happen. They happen every single day. So I agree with you that it's not, it is all in your head, but it also isn't. Um, It's completely integrated with your body. It's one in the same and one affects the other. It's intrinsically linked. It's, you can't separate them. It's very, um, so yeah, it's just, it, it, it makes it hard for people, like I said, it makes it hard for people to understand when they can't see or haven't had an experience with it. And even if you have a loved one who's had an experience with it um, or is experiencing it, it's still extremely challenging to understand it if it's not something that you can really wrap your mind around um, and understand from that person's uh, point of view or their perspective and what they're actually being empathetic and compassionate with with what they're feeling and that that is real to them. Yeah. Um, no, you may not understand it. And, you don't have to understand it. That's totally fine. Nobody says, you know, you need to understand everything about depression or anxiety to support your loved one. No, you don't actually even need to know very much about it. But I think that, you know, it's important to have the conversations um, of being able to support our loved ones and not minimize how they feel regardless of the symptoms that they're experiencing. Because in that moment, it's that bad for that person. And just having the compassion and understanding of that, that it's very, very difficult. I think that's really the only thing people need to understand is that it's extremely difficult and it's really hard and it's, it's hard to go through by yourself because you also don't feel like anybody else understands and you feel like it's just you. Um, so I think it's, it's very challenging for people to, to understand how, how negative the impact can really be on an individual and their health. Um, how, do you think that there are like examples of people who, or examples of scenarios in, in your life where people have been very compassionate and understanding and like, what does that, what does it look like for someone who doesn't know, um, what it's like to have depression or anxiety? What, what could they, how could they act, um, to show compassion or like, what could they say? What could they do? Like, what does it look like to be compassionate for someone in these situations if you don't know firsthand what it's like? I think the best way at the moment that I think that I could describe it is, um, for example, if your best friend came to you and was having a major stressor or a life change or a crisis of some sort, whether it's something that you've experienced before in your life or not, chances are pretty good because you love your best friend, you've known them for a long time, you have their best interest in heart, that, um, that you want to... Uh, just be supportive and be there. And even if you say, I don't understand how it feels because I've never had that experience, but it sounds extremely hard. It's, you know, I'm sorry that this is something that you're experiencing right now. And is there anything I can do to try to help you? I think one of the things I've realized lately with anxiety is is, uh, this feeling of being alone um, and not being able to action for me, action things that, that I need to do, but terrify me because they're overwhelming. Um, And so I think just 
being supportive and listening um, as much as possible is, is really the best thing you can do. And also just an offer of help. Like sometimes very small things can make a huge difference. So sometimes if somebody just says to me, like, I haven't had that experience, but I can imagine that that's extremely challenging and difficult for you. Like, I'm not sure what I would do in that situation. And it's okay to say you don't know what you would do. Most of the time, I don't know what I would do either, but it's just, you know, this is the situation you're in at the moment and, and that's perfectly fine. It's just holding space for the person and being there if they need you. And sometimes that can be like, if I feel overwhelmed to go to the grocery store, well, maybe my friend could offer to come with me and we would just schedule 15 minutes, you know, can you come with me so I don't have to do it by myself? It just gives me a little bit of personal support. Right. You can watch. I don't run my card into other people, you know, unnecessarily or run somebody over or whatever, because I can't pay attention because I'm too anxious. So um, really just having a listening ear um, and taking the person's hand and being there for them uh, just as a support, I think sometimes can be invaluable to um, people experiencing challenges with, with mental health issues. Yeah, which would be amazing because then the more people could do that, the more they get insight into what it's like to be in your life and what it's like to live with this. Yeah. And then it facilitates more compassion, you know? Well, that's the whole thing, right? Is facilitating compassion, even self-compassion, because um, as most people may be aware that, you know, we tend to have this, um, I guess, uh, tendency to kind of, be harder on ourselves, have higher standards for ourselves than we do others. And um, I'm not 100% sure why or where that comes from, but we don't seem to hold the same standards for ourselves as we do, say, our best friend. So if our best friend had something happen to them that wasn't so great, you know, it's a uh, stressor event, um, and you had the same experience, I think that you as a person would be harder on yourself yeah. uh, than you would be with your friend. You'd be more compassionate with your friend, like take it easy on yourself. That's an awful situation. You need to take time. You need to rest. You need to take care of yourself. It's not so easy, I think, to to do that with ourselves and have the self-compassion, yeah. um, which is a big piece I've been trying to investigate lately because I'm wondering if that will um, make a difference in, in my mental health. Like trying to practice self-compassion? More self-compassion for myself, absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. I find it extremely difficult to be compassionate with myself. It's much easier to berate yourself, um, to be negative, have negative thoughts and things like that. But again, that's that's the mental illness creeping in. So um, it gets confusing because it's like, well, is that symptoms from the illness or is that actually me? Am I actually flawed? Am I defective? Why can't I function like everybody else in society? And it just becomes this entire downward spiral. And you can just from thoughts alone, you can you can get yourself into a dark hole. Yeah, for sure. Well, and you're also very reflective and um, yeah, like you th you think deeply about things. Generally, I think that's one of your qualities and it can be very good and it can also be damaging. Um, and in this situation, it sounds like it can be damaging because it's like you just start questioning reality. Like, I don't know anything like what, you know. Yep. And that's just it. And I said to um, a friend of mine the other day who recently was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder and depression. Uh, I said to her <laughs> that, you know, 
most days feel like an existential crisis. <laughs> That's the best way I can put it is that you don't know if you're coming or going, you don't know what you should be doing or shouldn't be doing, or it just is all overwhelming and uh, you're not sure if you're coming or going. Or, and so I've, I feel like I regularly have existential crisis and like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I don't know what I'm doing with myself. I don't understand why it's so difficult to try to be healthy and have a quote unquote normal life. Um, and things like that. So I guess that's how I described it was I just feel like it's an existential crisis. Like every couple of weeks is what it feels like. (laughs) I bet. I can, I feel like I can kind of, um, like understand a bit of what you're talking about when I was experiencing my postpartum depression, um, at the depth of it. Like I was, I started to think like I should leave, I like, and leave Asher, leave Mike, um, uh, run away, um, you know, I, I, w- I wasn't suicidal, but I was like, I, I need to, like, I'm, I'm toxic to these two people. Like I need to leave. Um, I started to think like literally like Googling, like, could I give my child up for adoption? And, and at the time it felt so real. It was like, of course, these are like, I need to do these things. I need to figure this out because I'm damaging for this person. And now in hindsight, I'm like, who is thinking that? Like, where, where did those thoughts come from? And, you know, it was me because it was me at the time, but like, is that like, do I, I don't want to be like that. I I don't think so. Like, I know. And so anyway, that was my, that's the struggle, but that's the struggle, right? Is hindsight so great, but it sucks, sucks royally at the same time, because you can look back and be like, yeah, that was completely irrational thinking. But at the moment and at that time, I recall it feeling very real. It was very serious. And I was I was dead set on it. Yeah. Um, so I completely understand what you mean and wanting to run away, wanting to hide, feeling like you're toxic, you're bad for people, you're undeserving, you're unworthy. Um, you know, the list can go on and on of, of negative characteristics you can affiliate with it. But it's this feeling like I'm not good for anybody and I need to be removed. Um, I'm only going to make things worse. So it's best that I not be here or around these people and it's ironic that it comes from a place of love Yeah. <laughs> that you're doing it, right? Like if you think about it, your postpartum depression, you were doing that from a place of love Yeah. because you don't want to hurt your partner and your new baby. You don't want to be a burden. You don't want to do things that will hurt them or be toxic to them. You want them to be happy and have a good life, right? Exactly. And so I completely understand and, that, and that's how it feels is that you really feel like um, or at least I, I have felt very much the exact same way is some days I just want to crawl in a hole and die. And I really think that things would be better off sometimes without me here. And I know you're saying you weren't suicidal and that brings up a whole other thing for me because yeah. late, lately I've been having, um, a few bouts with suicidal ideation. So I guess my understanding of suicidal ideation is you have these uncontrollable thoughts of, of suicide and and things like that but there there's nothing actionable that you're that you're going to do to um, follow through or make that happen and so my most recent experience with it um, was just uh, in October um, I think there was Friday the 13th so Friday the 13th I'm not suspicious those days never bothered me but uh, in 2007 my father was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer terminal pancreatic cancer on Friday the 13th and was in a, in July in 2007 and for whatever reason this year and this is like 10 years after he passed away 
um, that Friday morning, uh, I had to go to my psychologist, but I remember specifically suicide, suicidal thoughts and ideation, like the whole morning, I think my appointment was at 10 AM. I felt completely dissociated. So I felt like I was outside of my body and not inside my body, but I was controlling my body. I mean, it was weird. Um, and unfortunately the suicidal ideation literally lasted till Monday morning. That's the longest I've ever had it is three full days. And, and that was, um, it's distressing. It's very distressing because you don't want to have these thoughts. You know that you don't want to die, but you just feel so awful. And these thoughts are popping in your head. Like people would be better off if you weren't here. Like, um, you know, people be happier. You're a burden. I mean, these lies that depression and anxiety tell you, um, are very easy to believe because they're coming from your own thoughts. Like there's no other place it's coming from. It's not like it's a stranger telling you this and you can be like, no, they don't know me. They're not correct. It's not, you know, it's not something that's external that you can kind of separate from yourself. So, um, it's really hard when you're having thoughts that, you know, aren't realistic, they're unhealthy, but you don't know what to do to, to fix them or correct them or, or make it easier on yourself. Um, so, um, yeah, crawling in a hole or, or avoiding through sleep or overeating or not eating or drugs or alcohol or whatever people's choices, um, you know, usually are the option that we choose because we want to avoid feeling bad. Right. And that's completely understandable. Nobody totally. wants to feel bad. Nobody yeah. wants to feel bad stuff. No, totally not. And but it's hard, like you said, because in hindsight, you're looking back and at that moment in time, you were like, yeah, this is the best thing to do. I'm seriously Googling this. Yeah. Like these are options. These are real options right now. Yeah. But yeah. now looking back in hindsight, you're like, who was that? Yeah. And thank God I didn't do anything. Right. And some but how people do. You do. That? How do you reconcile that? I, I, right? I don't know. I know exactly. I mean, that's the, the issue. And then, you know, seeing people who who do things to themselves or to their child or whatever. It's like, I can have compassion for that. Like your thought, you're thinking things different. Like your reality is different. The thoughts that are going through your mind are different, especially as just as you said, it comes from a place of love. Like it literally is. Everyone will be better off. Yep. This person will be better off. Like it's like, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I, I think, you know, I think I'm not sure if what people think about, about people who who um, have death by suicide, I think is how it's supposed to be said now. It's yeah. not committed suicide. Right. Um, I think a lot of people struggle with the fact that perhaps the person I think that, that would commit the act or the person that would uh, follow through on that act really is not thinking about themselves. They're thinking about everybody else they love. The last person they're thinking about is themselves. Yeah. And... Um, I think that's important if people could understand that, that it does come from a place of love. It's just that you have no love for yourself. Yeah. And therefore, the love for yourself is, is almost non-existent, but your love for others is exponential. And you don't want to hurt people you love. And so the easiest thing to do is retreat, leave, hide, go away forever, run away, whatever the case is, right? So it's... It is, it's ironic that it comes from a place of love, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I'm just thinking about, like, you know, what 
I think is helpful, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, but like trying to get other thoughts louder than the ones that are coming from inside, right? And so for me, it, just in general, I mean, you know, I like to share things. And so it's it's changing my inner monologue by hearing other people's um, perspectives on what I share. And so I don't know what you think about that, like if, if that's a way to get other people's thoughts louder than your own, <laughs> the good thoughts, the good people's thoughts. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that, and... <laughs> And it's a it's an ironic problem to have with anxiety because for social anxiety specifically, you don't want to see people and you don't want to talk to them. But that's probably the best thing for you to do if you have social anxiety because you need a support system. But the tendency is to isolate uh, as opposed to reach out. But I think just like Michael Landsberg says with his Sick Not Weak, uh, which I love, I think it's amazing and it's wonderful, um, the movement that he has started to support people with, with mental health issues and by sharing it does make a really big difference. It's just really hard to share because it feels like, um, for me anyway, I find it really difficult to share. It's the judgment piece again. It's the, it's, um, it's, it's like a, a worry that, that, you know, there's something wrong with you and, and people um, won't take kindly to that. You know what I mean? They won't, it won't even be a, a good discussion they'll be like you're crazy what is wrong with you like that's so I don't even get what you're talking about you know um, so I guess it, it feels like it's not very relatable so I find it difficult to talk about but I find reading and talking to other people um, privately about their experiences uh, really makes a big difference and I think that connecting with people um, that are having those difficult thoughts and supporting one another like sick not week does right like um, which is, yeah, you're having these particular thoughts and depression and anxiety are lying to you and they're telling you this and that. And you know what? It's not true. And I'm here to tell you it's not true. And our whole community is going to tell you it's not true. We all know we all think it. Yeah. And that's okay. But you know what? It's bullshit. Don't believe it. And we're here to support you through that. Yeah. So I think that that's amazing because um, it's one of the harder things to share are the irrational um, thoughts that can come along with depression and anxiety that probably make it difficult for people to understand because it's not a rational thought, but, um, you know, you're having these, these irrational thoughts and, and they do pass. It's not like it's persistently there 24 seven, but, um, it's, I think it's really important to share. I've been so fearful of sharing, <laughs> so fearful my whole life. I've been so fearful and I know that's the anxiety. Um, primarily and the depression as well um, and it's just something that you have to work through and push through and and try to do little bits when you can I mean we I think we all get bits of bits of strength and motivation in little whims sometimes and I think when we have those you just have to leverage that and and use it for whatever you can do to be your best self at that moment I guess yeah. and and hope that those moments add up to be enough to to still be you know a good person in the world. Yeah. So how do you feel about uh, having talked to me about this and knowing that this is going to go on to my podcast? Oh, I'd love to shit my pants right now. Because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want anybody to hear me talking or know anything about my life, which is, again, it's just the anxiety and depression. It's the fear of the judgment. It's the fear of the stigma. It's the fear of somebody saying, you know, be like the fear of somebody posting a comment. Nobody I even know could say, you know, uh, 
Dawn is cracked. Like, your interview sucked. She doesn't even know what she's talking about. Blah, blah, blah. And, like, I could read that and my illnesses will be like, oh, you should take that personally. Yeah. That's a personal attack on you. Um, You're insane and nobody understands you. So just go away. Um, Whereas I'm sure that's not actually the case at all. It's just somebody expressing their opinion, which is totally, I'm totally fine with that. I have, I think it's a great thing that people can express their opinion. It's just that when your thinking is a little bit messed up and, and uh, a little bit skewed, sometimes it makes it difficult not to take things personally. So that's been a really long journey for me to learn how to not take things personally. Yeah. Because that was always my first assumption was back to me, right? Oh, it's me. I did something wrong. Oh, it's me. I said something wrong. I said something offensive. I, I didn't use the right word. So again, it's that second guessing yourself. You just can't stop. It's just this ridiculous, uh, vicious loop. Yeah. But I think that it's good. Like I'm happy to be here sharing and probably of anybody, you're the easiest person I can talk to about this stuff because you have the neuroscience background, the clinical understanding of it, as well as your own personal experience and learning through others' experiences as well, right? I mean, you're compassionate in that way and you understand. And so um, we were discussing earlier about what somebody can do to be supportive. And I find, um, you know, another thing that's really important is that if somebody you love has depression or anxiety or any mental illness um, or, or any chronic illness, and they have a day where they just can't do anything, like they just can't. There's some days where I literally can't function at all. I can't think. I can't action anything at all. It's just uh, constant rumination in my head. Um, and so I can't focus. And so sometimes those days are just a complete write-off. And I've learned for myself that um, I have to allow those days to happen when they do happen. And I have yeah. to allow, give myself permission to be okay with it. And that is just one day. And today I'm not, I'm not okay. And that's going to be okay for today because it's only 24 hours and it may not even last that long. So we'll just, I'll try to do some strategies and tools to stop ruminating. So I'll do uh, word search uh, for four hours, Yeah. you know, anything to get out of my head as much as I can. But I think it's important if people could understand that some days there's just days where you just can't function. You literally can't do anything. And that could be you can't answer the phone. You can't answer an email. And those are the days, I think, when people need the most compassion and understanding from their bosses, from their coworkers, from their colleagues, from their friends, and from their family. Yeah. Because unfortunately, those days can occur at any time. At any time. It could be, you know, your granddaughter's um, first Christmas recital and you're having an anxiety attack and you can't force yourself to go. Um, So it's important, you know, in a situation like that for family to understand it has nothing to do with the person not wanting to be there or not be supportive or not care about the situation. They just literally physically feel that they cannot and mentally feel that they just are not capable of pulling that off. There's just not that strength there where you believe you can, you can get through the whole thing. Yeah. And so we have to, like let go of, you know, needing everything to be a certain way. Like you're talking about that from your perspective of having depression, but then as the people around, it's like, you know what, does it really matter at the end of the day if someone shows up to a Christmas concert or not? Like, sure, we'd love it and that would be perfect and it would be magical and all this stuff, but that's not life. Like life is 
the moments that life is supporting those moments when someone can't be there and be still having compassion and and not making that person feel like they have to fake it yep. or or anything else I can just it's the realness it's the realness of life you know? yeah and that's just it is this authenticity piece that I find keeps coming up because I I guess in in my perspective and opinion I feel the world is seriously lacking it and and it's it, to me is devastating really I um I mean I think being real and authentic um, why else are we here I know I mean why what is the point of living if you're not going to be able to be yourself and and how ironic and hypocritical of me to say that when I can't be myself in the world the way it is I don't feel like I can I um I think people I don't know if other people with mental health issues feel the same way but like I've never felt like I fit in I I just I feel like I don't belong here and I know that sounds really weird or maybe like I feel like I'm an alien or something but I just don't feel like I fit in I feel like I don't belong I find I don't know if it's just because I have a lot of empathy and I feel things deeply or or what the case is but um it's it's definitely can feel a bit overwhelming for sure. To, to try to be yourself and be authentically you in, in a society that doesn't really want you to be. Well, doesn't want you to be negative or not happy right. because right. we just have a terrible way of dealing with that. I mean, I even think about that with Asher. Like, you know, he's having a, a breakdown, like a meltdown. And like, it's my practice. I have to just be there. Like, I can't change everything for him. I can't make nope. him feel better. And... I want to like it's it's a mirror showing me how much I want to like fix things and stuff and um, I think luckily I have a little bit of insight that I I know that I have to let all the whole spectrum of emotions come out of him so that he never feels shut down and yeah. and that's a practice like it's you know so we, it's interesting oh sorry go ahead no I was just gonna say that's what we do we, we want to make everyone's we try in, cult, in our culture, just everything's happy, everything's good. Like we, you know, how are you doing? Good. That's yep. the acceptable response there, you know? Yep. It's true. It's true. And it's, it's interesting you said about letting him experience the emotions, especially negative ones. And I had read just the other day, I posted on Facebook um, article from, it was just a news article in Ontario, but it was something absurd, like 40 to 50% of children and youth in Ontario miss an ungodly amount of school due to anxiety. Uh -huh. And in the article, I, the first paragraph or two, it was talking about a five-year-old and six-year-old wanting to die. They wanted to kill themselves because they were so anxious. And I read that and it just made me so sad and it broke my heart. But yeah. one of the things that, because I don't, I don't think that there's any need for it to be that way. I don't think that, I think it's totally backwards, I, I guess. Um, and so one of the things I was thinking is uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting on the couch and for no known reason, no known trigger, I had a huge panic attack. And then I just felt like I kind of had this epiphany where I was like, oh my God, I think anxiety is just bad feelings and I don't want to feel them. And so anxiety happens instead. And this is what I've trained myself to do. Wow. That I've literally trained myself. Those are negative emotions, bad emotions, anything with a negative yeah. anything, right? Oh no, I can't feel that. That doesn't feel good. No, no, no. Let's bury that. 
or let's avoid that or let's hold our breath until we pass out because we can't deal with it or anything to avoid feeling any negative anything yeah right because it feels so uncomfortable and gross and right but we forget that it's just it's a few moments I know know it feels like eternity and you want to avoid it at all costs because that's what we're designed to do is avoid that stuff and we've programmed ourselves basically like you can't have negative feelings and you certainly shouldn't express them oh my god don't express them don't whatever you do absolutely you know what I want to get into this so bad with you right now but I I have to I have to go so I um (laughs) but this is a good teaser because it just made me think for the next episode because it makes me think about your history trying to figure out all this when you were young right which you can then talk about um how all that's you know, maybe the suppression happened. So maybe we can leave it with that. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah, I'd be happy to talk about that. Because <laughs> I do want to, I want to, I want to have you back. Like, I love that you're feeling open to sharing this. I think this was an amazing, like, I loved hearing this from you. I mean, some of this I knew, some of this I didn't know. And I, you know that I think that you, you should share this. Like, people want to hear this stuff. And I think you are doing a service, a good service to people by sharing this. So... So thank thank you. you. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. And again, it just reiterates what I said earlier is because you are supportive because we've been friends for so long and no, we don't talk very often, but I love you. I know you love me and I know you want what's best for me and vice versa, that it's easier for me to do this with you because it's like you're holding my hand doing it. So I'm not by myself doing it. I have, I'm not alone. So it's not as scary, right? It's still scary. Like I have tears in my eyes because I'm scared and nervous, but I'm also happy because I don't feel alone. So there's this relief that I feel as well. Cause it's like somebody's holding your hand with you on stage. Like I got you, man. I got yeah. you. No matter what happens, I'm right here. Yeah. And I think we all need that regardless of illness or not. Absolutely. You're so right. That's a great way to end then. Um, awesome. I'm going to stop the recording uh, right now.